Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Reverend Veronica Silva, a New Thought minister and a nurse who struggled with alcoholism since she was young, but who has been in recovery for 26 years. Woohoo! I met Veronica through Reverend Bobby Becker, who you might remember from our episode 49, A Courageous Spiritual Journey. Veronica has been on a spiritual journey of her own since June of 1996, when she got sober from alcohol and drugs. She's had a passion for spirituality as a result of attending AA meetings and finding a God of her understanding. She is so passionate about God that she has recently become a minister in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. She's a true believer in going right into the discomfort of life to free ourselves from our suffering. She's a registered nurse and works at a cardiac procedures unit and loves helping others during their times of fear or anxiety. And here at Safe Home, one of our biggest priorities is to destigmatize addiction and mental health. So by hearing stories from people like Veronica, we're able to humanize addiction and find commonalities and discover the ways others have found their healing path. So welcome and thank you for being here to share your story, Veronica. Glad you're here. Thank you, Beth. Yeah. Well, why don't we just start with kind of like an overview? What was your childhood like? How did it start off for you? Yes. Well, it started off very young age, being surrounded by people who loved to drink and party. And it looked like fun to me as a child. Uh And so at 14, I thought I would join in and I started taking alcohol from my family and taking it to school, putting it in my orange juice. Uh, You know, I was just really going to check this thing out, this thing called alcohol. (laughs) Was it kind of a cultural or a family dynamic where alcohol was just kind of free flowing and uh, even at 14, they're like, okay, here you go. It's fine. They'd rather Mm -hmm. you do it under the roof. Is that that kind of thing? Right. Yes. It was very cultural. Mm -hmm. And our Latin family, you always had a Budweiser in your hand or it was handed to you as soon as you walked in the door. Okay. Um, So it was very, you know, welcome. And if you didn't, you know, they would give you one anyway. So sometimes, yeah, it's kind of to be part of the family. It was just what we did. Mm -hmm. Wow. And did uh, any family members that you know of, did they struggle with alcoholism or addiction of any kind? in that culture or were they all just like social drinkers and it was fine? Well, they were very heavy drinkers. There was a lot of heavy drinking. Uh, My dad was a heavy drinker. My uncles, there was just a lot of drinking around me. So it was easy to just follow suit. Okay. Yeah. 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 If that's the the water you're swimming in, it seems Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's what you do. Okay. That's just what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can totally understand that. And how long do you think it took you, you started drinking at 14, how long before you were addicted? Mm, I would say by the time I was in high school, Okay, I was in yeah. high school, I was missing school and drinking and getting high and mm-hmm. just about every day. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, a. when I look back at it, I just wonder how did I do that? And I maintained it 4.0 average and no way. Um, played sports and, you know, I was, a, I was very good at hiding it. Very good. Wow. Yes. That's yes. incredible. I was going to ask, did you graduate high school, but you graduated and got 4.0. What the heck? Right. You had a bunch of plates spinning in the air. Yes. Yes. That must have taken a lot of energy. (laughs) It did. It did. But I've always had a lot of plates spinning in the air. I think it's the nature of who I am. And 
Uh-huh. And, you know, I had a lot of anxiety as a kid. Uh-huh. And so that really, that's what I think I loved. Anything that could just calm that anxiety. Down. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of fear. I was afraid of being found out, of course. Yeah. Everything was fearful to me. And I had traumas during my childhood. So mm-hmm. anything would just put me into that fight or flight mm-hmm. um, in my nervous system. And so I just needed a way to calm that down. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Are you willing at all to talk about the traumas from your childhood or just you wanted to say trauma? That's okay. Well, I think the main one that affected me was my dad's and he was a rager. And Uh, so from nowhere, you know, I felt like I grew up in a minefield, uh, never knowing um, when it was going to hit me. So I was always on edge. Yeah, I was always on edge. And so even if he wasn't there, I was on edge. Yeah. And so, yeah, that hypervigilance that mm-hmm. traumatized kids have. Yes. yes. Now, was he a rager because of the alcohol or did he drink because he was a rager? That's a really good question. I might even go so far as saying, I wonder if his father was a rager, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's just handed down. And yeah. I've had to deal with that myself, you know, look at myself and and my anger because it was in my home. Yeah, it's what yeah. you learn. And unless mm-hmm. you really work hard to switch it. It's easy mm-hmm. for those patterns to just continue generation after generation. Yes. And is that a cultural thing in the Latinx community? The kind of the, the angry man seems like a stereotype of Latino men. I would say, I, I believe so. I believe so. And the machismo, if you will, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way because mm-hmm. it's all, it's all unconscious. Yeah, it's yeah. all unconscious. And so I know just like anyone who has rage, they never mean to hurt anyone. Right. It's just, just it's something that's not controlled. And yeah. so, you know, that's another thing that alcohol can either, you know, sometimes subdue is just like all uh-huh. of that, all of that energy, if you will, yeah. of, of anger. So did, did you ever experience that rage kind of behavior or did you stuff it down? And subdue it. Well, I stuffed it down as long as I could <laughs> to create appearances that yeah. everything was okay. You know, uh-huh. you want everybody to think everything's okay. Uh-huh. And then there came a day that it, it, it has to go somewhere. Yeah, it's, eventually. You know, it does have to go somewhere. And so I, I started becoming easily triggered. Uh-huh. And I have adult children now. And unfortunately, they saw that side of me that I'm not proud of. Mm-hmm. But I understand it now. Mm-hmm. I understand it more. Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole other journey, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very. It's it's very complicated. Did your rage tend to come out when you had kids? Like when your kids were having behaviors, that's when your rage came out? Yes, yeah. because when uh, anyone who has trauma, their nervous system is hypersensitive. Yep. And so kids, being kids, they're loud and they're rambunctious and they're uh-huh. just doing what kids do. Yeah. And I didn't realize how that was triggering my deep-seated traumas. And so unconsciously, I'd react. That's where the spirituality came in because it helped me. They say in AA, there's a hole that exists within us um, that needs to be filled. And then Mm -hmm. we fill it with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Instead, when you come to recovery, that you fill it with God or spirituality or or the universe or whatever Mm -hmm. you choose to call that is Mm -hmm. a support system for you. Mm -hmm. And so that started to 
unwind my my anger and, and yeah. dissolve it, along with therapy and, and other modalities. Yoga, yoga was very helpful. Oh, yeah, yoga. But that's why I've learned that it's important to go towards it than run away from it. Because, yeah. you know, we have a tendency to avoid those uncomfortable topics and the dark side or the shadow side. But when we go towards it, we can free ourselves from it. Yes, it's so hard, but I agree with you that going going towards it, go through it, not mm-hmm. backwards or not around it. You just got to face it, and it's yeah. so hard. It sounds like you do that as a nurse. I bet in the cardiac, uh, whatever place you work, that there's yeah. a lot of anxiety around that. Oh, yes. Well, I was the charge nurse on the COVID unit for 2020 and 2021. So there was a lot. There was a lot of anxiety to deal with and fear, uh, not only for the patients, but the nurses and the families. It was just tenfold. Oh, my gosh. It was definitely overwhelming for for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't doubt it. Thank you for all of that you did during that time. My goodness. You you people are, are... I don't know. You need way more than like banging on pots and pans, but I don't know. (laughs) We are grateful. We are grateful. I like that about AA and the other 12-step meetings is that you don't have to have the same kind of God as everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's very open. Although I think having no God doesn't work for 12 steps, right? You have to have something. Well, here's what was told to me about my sponsor. She said, until you have faith, you can borrow mine. Uh, That's beautiful. You can borrow mine. And I did. Because the religion of my upbringing was Catholic, and it didn't resonate with me anymore. Yeah. And so I borrowed her faith until I found one of my own. Ah, very good. Mm-hmm. Now, how old were your kids when you got into recovery? They were, I'm going to say, like around three and six. Oh, wow. Four and seven, something like little, that. Little, little. And were they at all a part of why you chose recovery at that point? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I was in the middle of a divorce and my ex-husband learned that I was trying to get sober or that I was having trouble with alcohol. So he actually was going to take me to court for full custody of the kids. Ah. So that was my initial incentive to ah. clean up my act. <laughs> So you're like, okay, now's the time. Got to get it together or they're going to take my kids away. Right. So you ended up keeping joint custody or? Mm-hmm, yes. Okay. Yeah. And how, how are your kids now? They're, they're grownups, but how, how did they fare through all this? Well, they both drink, you know, and I just, I have to let them go and have their, their own journey and keep loving them and let them know that I'm always there for them. Mm-hmm. And so I can see a tendency of a little bit of the anger characteristic mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. And my son, well, he struggled. He's 33. He was using meth. He was using methamphetamines from about 17 till about, mm, I'll say 25, maybe. Oh, wow. 20. wow. Yeah. And he has epilepsy. So wow. he was landing in the hospital a lot oh, wow. um, from That's his drugs so and alcohol addiction. Yeah, very scary. So I asked him, you know, what happened? How did you stop? And he said he doesn't even know how he stopped. So I'm going to call it a divine intervention. There you go. Because he was able to stop miraculously, because I know that's a very difficult drug. Really hard one to get off. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, but he's still drinking quite heavily. And like I said, I just do my best to to love him where he's at and support him. You know, I'm here whenever, yeah. you know, if he needs help. 
I know that there's a 12-step Al-Anon program where they teach you that you're not the same person, you're not connected. Well, you are connected like spiritually or by blood perhaps, but they make their choices and you make your choices and mm-hmm. everybody takes care of their own side of the street, which is so hard when your kid is struggling. Yes. Has that been hard for you, especially with your experience mm. being addicted? Yes, it has because I I know that it's possible and yeah. it's not easy, yeah. but it's possible. And so, yeah, it, it is difficult to watch and yeah. see him struggle. And so that's <laughs> to... I've tried to intervene. I've taken him to meetings and I've done that and interfered really where he's gotten really angry at me. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I've learned from that. Yeah. (laughs) And so let me just love you from over here, Mm -hmm. you know, with my heart is always here to help you. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. Those are tough things to learn. Uh... Yeah. He's been probably in the hospital more times than most people should be. I I get those calls. And, you know, any parent of an addicted child, your worst fear is that phone call. And I've had at least four, Mm. not five of him being in the hospital. And so from an overdose or just just accidents that have happened. (sighs) A lot of them when he was drunk. Oh, gosh, that's so scary. Mm -hmm. Now, when you started your recovery and you had little kids and all you knew this whole time, your whole life up till that point was numb everything out with alcohol or, or weed. Was that your other one? Mm -hmm. A little bit of other extra stuff, you know, (laughs) a little this, a little that. No, I bet that when you let go of all those substances that you, a lot of stuff came up for you Mm. and did the 12 steps help you with that or your your God of your understanding help you with that? How did you get through that difficult transition? Yes, it was difficult. I consider myself an empath. And I'm going to say that there are probably a lot of drug and alcohol people addicted who are empathic. I, I bet. So as soon as I took away that that numbness, I felt everything. Ah, shoot. And so it was very difficult. So that's actually when I found yoga okay. to help my nervous system. It really balanced out my nervous yeah. system. And so that was definitely the first, I will say three years, three to four years okay. of being sober were extremely challenging doing what we say life on life's terms. Yeah. I was a single mom. I lost my job twice in the first three years of sobriety as a single mom. I mean, everything that could happen, you know, you're trying to get your life into alignment. And so things Uh that aren't in alignment, you know, fall away. And so it was just a, it was a mess for a little while, but I had a lot of support from my AA sisters and the program Uh really, it's, I don't know how people get sober by themselves. I don't know because the support system is amazing. Yeah, uh, that is the best thing about the 12-step programs is that the support is as much as you want, right? Right. Especially nowadays with online meetings 24-7. Right, right? yes, yes. Uh, Just to go back to the empath piece just a bit, in case people don't know what an empath is, can you explain that real quickly? Yes, it means you just have a really big heart. (laughs) You're really open. You're just very open and loving and you care. You really care yeah. authentically about people. And and so because I care so much, because I love so much, I get hurt. I get hurt. Yeah. And yep. that's part of 
being a big lover is the is the hurt and it comes yeah. with it. So the amount that you grieve, the degree that you grieve is the degree that you love. Uh-huh. So I didn't know how to deal with that emotion at all. The hurt and the disappointment and people uh. disappointing me. I had no idea how to navigate that. Uh, so oh I just gosh. drank it. I just drank it yeah. away. That's a lot easier yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and when you said you lost two jobs in the middle of that transition, did you lose jobs because you were messing up because you were so ah, all over the place with your transition or it was circumstantial? It was, like, yeah, it was just circumstantial. Ah, yeah. Shoot. Yeah. And were you able to hold jobs when you were drinking? Was that, was you were able to go to school and everything? Did you have any other like external consequences from your drinking? Well, when I was drinking, I was a stay-at-home mom. So I call myself a stay-at-home drunk. (laughs) Okay. So martinis for lunch and all that kind of stuff. Yes. I did not wait for five (laughs) o'clock. Okay. Okay. I think there are a lot of those. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I see memes and stuff, you know, with the wine glasses, you know, it's very common. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure as a stay-at-home mom, it's boring sometimes and drudgery and, you know, it's not a glamorous job and it's just in the trenches all the time. I don't, right. I, I can imagine you would want to break from some of that every once in a while. Well, you know, cleaning my house was a lot easier with the beverage in my hand. I, sure. <laughs> you know, so. And Absolutely. I, yeah. So in hindsight, I was very lucky that nothing bad ever happened to my kids. Yeah. With your kids or driving or anything like yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. Very lucky. Yeah. You have like nine lives, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And when did you become a nurse after your kids were grown or? Yes. After I had been sober about four or five years, I had a sponsor and she's like, okay, what are you going to do? You know, your kids are going to start high school. And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) So I just explored, you know, and being an empath who likes to help people, I thought nursing would be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was 40, in my 40s, I went back to school. (laughs) Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah. My mom did that. She became a nurse when we were in high school. She and my sister graduated the same year. Her from nursing school, my sister from high school. Oh, my God. I think I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I believe my daughter and I graduated the same year, too. I have have (laughs) to think about it, but yeah, yeah, very close. It was good for us to see the studying and the, you know, we'd help her with her quizzes and she did some demonstrating stuff on us and not shots or anything, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) listening to your heart and (laughs) yeah, as kids to see, oh yeah, adults can still learn stuff and and how hard it is to get those goals attained, you know? Yeah, it was difficult. I had to go to adult school before I went to college to catch up on all the latest computer programs. (gasps) And so that was very humbling to go to uh, back to adult school and catch up with everything. Yeah, I bet. I bet. You sound like you're a very driven person, though, and you don't just turn away from obstacles when they arise. Yes, that is true. You're just like, let's move through this. Get going. Let's go. Let's go. Stuff to do. We do have (laughs) stuff to do. (laughs) (laughs) And right in the middle of the pandemic, you thought, huh, let me add another career to this. Did you start that in the middle of the pandemic or are you already on the path to become a minister and then the pandemic happened? Yes, I was already on the path and completed right in the middle. Oh, okay. So it was something that called to me probably in my late 30s. Okay. It was calling to me. And so I just needed to get a little bit more life under my belt, so to speak, until I answered that call. 
Very it's good. Definitely and a calling. Yes, it needs to be a calling because most people probably wouldn't do it unless they were called by spirit to do it. Right? It's right. like a hard job. Yeah, <laughs> and a rewarding one. And a rewarding very rewarding. One. Yes. Yes. yes, it's very similar to your nursing job. You're just healing other body parts, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the soul, it's the body, or the body. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And are you ordained in the Centers for Spiritual Living? Is that the yes. denomination? Mm -hmm. Just yes. like Bobby. Yes, yeah. just like Bobby. Mm -hmm. We minister at the same center in, in Long Beach. They work at Namaste in Long Beach, and I will put that link to that church in the notes. They do have online services if you live not near Long Beach. So if somebody's listening and they have a loved one who's struggling with addiction, what would be your best advice to them? I would first say just love them, love them. And sometimes that means loving them from a distance. Mm -hmm. So if they're struggling with addiction and they're harming you in any way, then, then we love them from a distance because um, mm -hmm. it's important to set our boundaries with love. And the hard part as a parent is to stick to them. Yes. You know, you just feel it right in your heart yeah. as you're, as you're standing your boundaries, but it's the same love that we have when we are teaching our kids not to touch a stove. Mm -hmm. It's that same love. So if we can remember that, then it's easier to, to keep mm -hmm. our boundaries with them mm -hmm. and, and, and just keep the door open. You know, when you're ready, yeah. I am here without judgment. What, you know, if we'd like to go mm -hmm. to recovery, I'll take you just so that they know they have a safe place to land because we don't know what someone's bottom is going to be. That's right. We hope it's not death. That's the yes. scary part about waiting for people to reach rock bottom because for mm -hmm. a lot of people, the rock bottom is they're no longer with us. So yes, yes. Trying oh, it's so hard to as a parent to try to try to get someone in recovery mm -hmm. when they're not ready yet, mm -hmm. and to just let that go. And ah, yes. But when you were using, I don't know if anyone did this to you, but what if somebody would have said, Veronica, you need to go to rehab. You need to get into recovery. Your life is going down the tubes. How would that have landed? And would you have said, oh, you're right. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> no, I would have not have said that. I would have said, <laughs> I would have said thank you for sharing. Um, you yeah. know, because I was, you know, it, it, as long as it was, I was still functioning, I didn't think I had a problem. Because of my drivenness, I was highly functioning. Yes. There are those who can function who are still alcoholic. That seems like a disadvantage to recovery. Mm -hmm. That ability to function despite high use of substances. Mm -hmm. That seems like it would be harder to recover because you're like, what? I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not losing my job. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Leave me alone. Yes. It's not like you're strung out on the street or something where it's clear that things are not going well. You're right. able to hold it together because you're so driven and smart and whatever. Right. I guess your kid's almost being taken away from you. That woke you up. That definitely woke me up. There's a false belief that alcoholism looks like that, that someone's on the streets yes. and living out of their car. And that's a possibility. But I would mm -hmm. say there's probably more functional alcoholics yes. out there than those who are living on the streets. And so we live in denial because I'm not yeah. that. So yes. I'm not an alcoholic. Yes. I think it's so important to realize. And I just interviewed Dana and Maz. Episode 57, Maz was a chemistry teacher or biology mm -hmm. teacher, never missed a day, mm -hmm. was totally fine. Mm -hmm. And that idea of the falling down drunk person is just one way to look when you're an alcoholic, right? Yes, yes. And 
your neighbor that you talk to all the time and seems pulled together could be an alcoholic. You don't know. You don't know. You know, someone's relationship with the substance. Mm -hmm. That's very good to know. And I wonder, I wonder if it's more common for women to be able to hold it together. What do you think? You know, I would say that might be so because we are multitaskers. Yeah. We're always balancing everything anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you said that you you said you never know that it could be your neighbor. And I, I had this joke, you never know until they take out their trash because oh. all the clinking <laughs> If the recycle bin is overflowing with wine bottles. Clinking bottles, well, yes. <laughs> maybe then you could know. <laughs> it must be hard as a recovered alcoholic person to see alcohol everywhere. And it's so much of a part of our culture. Does that bother you? Or are you totally over it and don't even get triggered anymore? Once in a while, in a party situation, you know, just to be social, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, so I'll, I'll drink like a seltzer water just because it has yeah. that carbonation. And, yeah. You know, it just out of habit and socialization. So once in a while, I'll say I'll have that feeling like, oh, you know, like they get to drink and I don't, you know. Yeah. But it passes because I know that it would not be a smart move for me. Yeah. Um, if you think about it for a little bit, you're like, oh, that would really be bad if I tried that again. Right. Because they'd say your disease progresses even if you're not using or drinking. Oh. So it's not like I would start over again. Yeah. You'd pick right back up. Right. If not worse. Yeah. That's what I think too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'd feel so terrible about it. You, you don't want to feel those feelings. And so it would just exacerbate the drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, besides the 12 steps, is there any other tool that you want to recommend people that might be dealing with addiction? I know the 12 steps are really awesome and they worked great for you. Is yes. there anything else you'd like to say about the 12 steps or any other tools that you'd like to talk about? Well, I found meditation very helpful. Mm. And I know that, as we call it, the monkey mind is very hard. It's very hard to, to meditate, especially when you're new and you're getting new to being sober. Your head is like everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I would do walking meditation. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I would do walking meditation. I would look at nature. So nature became my god. Uh -huh. um, trees and plants. And I would just look at them and, and like the, the miracle of, of what they are. So then that started to slow my mind down a little bit until mm -hmm. I could actually do a seated meditation. And so it didn't uh -huh. happen overnight. It was slow progression to meditation. But what meditation did is it, it slowed my mind down. So it gave me time to not react. Ah. I, I call it, it creates a gap between uh -huh. what I think and what I say. Because when that gap's not there, it's not pretty. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You need that little pause. You need that pause. And so meditation would, cause, because we can create so much damage in our, in our life if we just keep saying what we think or believing what, you know, just, we need that pause moment to say, yeah. is that really true? Do I really need to say that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very good advice. That's very good advice. Yeah, meditation's really great. And I love your idea of using nature and walking and movement. It doesn't have to be sitting on a cushion and mm -hmm. silence with your legs crossed. It can look a lot of different ways. Yeah, there's many different. You're just trying to get in touch with your your higher self or your soul so you can kind of get a handle on what you're thinking and why and you mm -hmm. know that kind of self-reflection yes. is so important yes. is there anything else you would like to say that I haven't asked you about yet I had wrote one word down that came up to me and, and that word was boundaries ah. and we talked about it as far as like setting boundaries for a family member who may be in addiction practicing their addiction 
But I think for me, that was one of the reasons I drank as well, was because I didn't know how to set boundaries. I didn't know how to say no, or I didn't know how to honor my no. Yeah. Then that stirred up so much more anger because I wasn't sticking to my boundaries. And so it it became a vicious cycle. And so I thought about that and I said, it's just a vicious cycle when you don't keep your boundaries as an adult. And, and and own your yes and own your no, mm-hmm. because then it just trickles out into being a victim mm-hmm. and shame and anger. Mm-hmm. Yes. I always can tell if I'm feeling resentful, I need to look at my boundaries because mm-hmm. yes. that means I'm not holding my boundaries. Yes. I can't control anyone else. But if I'm feeling resentful and if my person I'm being resentful hasn't learned to read my mind yet... <laughs> That is on me, right? Yes. And I, that is a little trick that has helped me tremendously. So if I start feeling resentful, okay, hmm, look at my boundaries around whoever I'm being resentful toward. Mm-hmm. Yes, because if you walk backwards, you'll see, oh, I wanted to say no, but I said yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard lessons to learn, but those are really, really <laughs> good things for everybody, addicted or not, or you know, wherever you're at, these lessons of being true to yourself. Oh, yes, yes. So hard. Such an important personal growth journey we are on. Yes, ah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it is a journey. So we're not expecting perfection. Right. It's a practice. Yep. Everybody's on their own healing path and it looks different for everyone. And yes. everybody gets to go at their own pace. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I definitely would like to take the judgment out of recovery. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be this way or it has to be that way and mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong or yeah. all of that. Because the bottom line is if you are not using or drinking, number one, great. If you can mm-hmm. do a program, that's even better because without some sort of program, I think there's so much suffering. Yeah. Even though you're not using, you're just suffering because you're not learning how to work with all the emotions that are coming up and and self-esteem issues and everything that whatever's there. And that's what the 12 step program helps with. Yes. There's so many 12 step programs and there's also like smart recovery and refuge recovery. Mm. It's a Buddhist path to recovering. Yes. So there's groups for everyone Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be 12 steps, but it works for a lot of people, but there's paths for everyone and, and everyone has to find out what works for them and what they resonate with. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just take any step, you know, if you're going to yeah. just, just take a step and that's the first, that's the first yeah. step. Yeah. Yeah. Take a step any direction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do something different than what you were doing, right? If yes. you're stuck in addiction, just take a step, mm-hmm. try something else, anything else, right? Yes. yes. I, that's what I often tell my son, just go do something mm-hmm. um, and see if it works. And then sometimes it does. Yeah, and you then sometimes know. it doesn't. And then you go a different way. So good. Even if it doesn't work, seeds are planted. Yes. And then you find out what doesn't work. That's right. also useful. Yes. That's yes. very good. If people wanted to get a hold of you, would you like to let them know how to get a hold of you? Or Yes. Uh, my email is the best way to get a hold of me, RevVeronicaSilva at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll put that in the notes if anyone wants to get a hold of you. And I'll put Namaste's 
website in the notes to if they want to find your church. And hopefully they won't need to see you as a nurse because if they did, that means there's something wrong with their heart, right? <laughs> yes. Like their physical heart. Their, their physical heart. Body pumping heart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're doing such good work out in the world, so many different ways. You are like a high achieving empath. It's it's very exciting to know you. I can't wait to see all the many places you're going to go with all of these different directions in your life. Oh, and uh, thank you. And now, now we're connected. So we will keep track of each other and yes. be here for each other. So yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I feel really blessed to be able to share my story because that's part of recovery as well yeah. is sharing the journey, remembering where you came from and then perhaps that could help someone. Yes. I think it's so important for people to share, you know, wherever they're at in recovery, just to make it more normal. Mm-hmm. that we can talk about this stuff. It's yes. nothing taboo. It's nothing to be hidden mm-hmm. or whispered about. Mm-hmm. We just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can talk about all of this stuff, all this tough stuff, talk about it more in these safe spaces as much as we can, that, the better. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No more, no more skeletons in the closet. Yeah. No more sneaking around. Let's just be <laughs> real with each other. I think that's really, really good, really healthy. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening. I would encourage you to share this episode with anyone you know who might have a family member or might themselves be struggling with addiction to something. And uh, Veronica has so much good insight and advice and her story is really inspiring. So uh, also find Safe Home Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And our website is safehomefamilies.com. We do have a support group for adoptive parents. If you know any adoptive parents, I've created a a new group for just adoptive parents. And we have all sorts of events and things coming up. So come find us and follow along. We also have Patreon. If you would like to support our work, you can donate a couple bucks a month and Patreon makes it really easy to do so. Our Patreon address is patreon.com slash safe home. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Veronica, for sharing your story. And Veronica and I want you all to stay safe. safe.